0: There, let's open up to Daniel chapter 10, if you would please, Daniel 10, and continuing our study through the book of Daniel, (laughs) by the grace of God, we'll finish the chapter today, but plenty of stuff to cover, Daniel chapter 10, and last time we left Daniel on the ground, he was in a deep sleep on his face, and his face toward the ground there in verse 9, and this morning we'll pick it up in verse 10. It says here, and behold, and <clears throat> hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. So he's, he's down on all four. And uh, remember, he's, what got him down on his face on the ground was he heard this messenger speak. And the voice of this messenger was just overwhelming. The whole experience was just too much. And uh, this is how the the spiritual realm can overwhelm the physical realm. And when God draws nigh, it does get a hold of you, both spiritually and has a a physical effect. And now in verse 10, he's starting to get his breath back. He's getting back to all fours. But uh, this is a good position to be in before the Lord, actually. Because when you're down on all fours like this, this is the position of a desperate man. Is it not? This is, this is a desperate position. This is the position of a weak man. This is the position of a humble man. This is the, a position of a broken man. And this is a good position to be in when you are seeking the Lord and wanting to hear from Him. And I want you to see this now. Uh, turn, or hold this and get to Isaiah. Turn to Isaiah chapter 66, and you'll see the position that Daniel is in makes him ready... To receive the word of God. Isaiah 66 and verse number 2. Isaiah 66 and verse number 2. And the Bible says here, For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look. Right? Wouldn't you like for God to look your way today? Right? God's looking around. We know this from other places in the Bible. In In... Over there in 2 Kings, it says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro through the whole earth looking for somebody that he can show himself strong on that man's behalf. So, so God's looking around. He says, to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit. Contrite is to be broken. It means to be humbly, sorrow, or humbly sorry for what you've done, who you are. Him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, watch the last part, and trembleth at my word. Do you see how that lines up with Daniel's position? Not just his physical posture, but the position of his heart. He's taking the word of God incredibly seriously. Now come back to Daniel 10. And with that in mind, let's continue on in verse 11. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved... Understand the words that I speak unto thee. God desires more than just you sitting, hearing the words in one ear and letting them go out the other. He says, I want you to understand what I'm saying. God didn't show up. He didn't send his messenger just to knock Daniel over and have this mystical experience. He says, Daniel, I'm getting your attention because I'm, I'm about to show you some rather deep stuff, and I want you to understand it. Guys, that's the point when you come to church, is, is, to, is to come in humbly, contrite, trembling at the word, but then you leave with some understanding of what you've been looking at. He says in the middle of verse 11, and, and stand upright. That's what understanding the Bible will do. It'll help you stand for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood, how? Trembling. trembling. Do you see how that lines up with Isaiah 66? He stood trembling. He realizes this is, this is not your everyday event. This is a unique and, and rare thing that's happening unto him. But if you follow the whole chapter, Daniel was praying for three weeks, right? He didn't eat any pleasant bread. He didn't drink any fancy uh, drinks, nothing like that, for three weeks, mourning, praying, begging God, please explain things to me. And now the Lord sends this fantastic messenger. And slowly it breaks Daniel down. You remember how, how we went through that? It breaks him down. His comeliness, his beauty was turned into corruption. And, and it broke him down all the way where his face is on the ground. And now God says, I'm ready to give you some understanding and he's going to build him back up. Do you see how he goes from face on the ground to palms and knees, and now he's standing upright, but he's still trembling. God will break you down so he can build you up. But don't expect him to build you up until you're first broken down. See, we, we, we want the part where he builds us up. We like that part. But skip the whole breaking me down thing. Just just build on what, what I'm... Build on what I'm offering, God. And God says, I I, I need to remove a few things and break you down. Flatten the land a little bit, and then we can build you. Have you read this in Jeremiah chapter 1? God sends the the prophet Jeremiah to destroy, to pull down, to tear down, then to build and to plant. First, got to get broken, then you can get built. He stood trembling. I hope today that you've come with that. Hard attitude. In verse 12, then said he unto me, fear not, Daniel. This is what the Lord will do. We, we don't know what we're getting into. We're in over our heads. It's overwhelming. He says, don't worry. Don't worry. Y- you're going to make it through this. I know you feel overwhelmed and there's no way you think you can get... You'll understand this. Fear not, Daniel. For from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard... And I am come for thy words. This is interesting because, remember, he's been praying for three weeks. Well, I want you to get this part. He's been praying for three weeks. This angelic messenger, we talked about who he might be. This mighty messenger showed up, says, the first day you started praying, we knew about it. But he didn't show up on the first day that Daniel prayed. He showed up three weeks later, verse 13. He said, I, we heard you on the first day, but verse 13, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in 20 days. There was a spiritual battle going on, a Star Wars, if you will. And he said, while we were battling that spiritual enemy, we knew you were praying and we wanted to come and answer, but we couldn't. There were some other things going on in the spiritual realm, and we had to tend to that. Now, this ought to encourage you quite a bit. I don't know about you. It helps me to know that sometimes the answer to my prayer is delayed and it's not my fault. (laughs) Now, granted, there might be many times it is my fault. But just because you prayed and you did not immediately get an answer doesn't mean that God is not listening. And to that I say, amen and hallelujah. I'm glad he's listening but there's more than just me in the universe. There's a massive spiritual realm that we cannot ignore. It is, a, it is a reality. Even though we can't see it, it is there. It is happening right now in the building. Not trying to scare you. It is not the tokolos. <laughs> I'm not talking about that. It's much bigger than the tokolos. It's much bigger than, oh, frausturis about spirits moving. Around. I'm talking biblically. We know that our adversary, the devil, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. We know biblically, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says we should not be ignorant of the devil's devices. Jesus taught us how the spiritual realm operates. And that, by the way, is how we know what we know about the spiritual realm. Now think about this. People... They, they develop their ideas about the spiritual realm based on what their mom and dad and their grandma and grandpa says. But mom and dad and grandma and grandpa have never been in the spiritual realm. Why not ask the one who created the spiritual realm? Jesus, he can see, he knows what's going on behind the curtain of the natural So we take our understanding of the spiritual realm from the Lord Jesus and from these prophets that were divinely inspired by God. This is where we get our understanding. Specifically, guys, I don't don't think I'm saying anything too fantastic here. How prayer works is a deep and complex subject, right? Right? Why didn't God answer my prayer? There are many reasons why he may not have answered it. But this place in the Bible gives us a little understanding that sometimes you're praying just fine. But there is some other stuff going on and God says, I am going to get to you. And I got this particular messenger ready to come and answer your prayer. Just hold on. Just keep praying. Keep knocking. I'm going to answer. Now in verse number 13, he says, But the prince... Of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But, lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now, as I've mentioned, our understanding of the spiritual realm is limited to what the Bible tells us. It would be useless and, and a waste of time for me to give you my opinions and guesses as to what's going on in the spiritual realm. But we do know here, that in the spiritual realm, there are, can we say, hierarchies? There's an authority structure. There's, there are princes. In the New Testament, you read about it like this. Principalities and powers. Remember that? Ephesians chapter 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. The rulers of the darkness of the world. So there are rulers, there are principalities, there are various levels to these things, and even with the angels, there are various levels of authority. Hold your place here, get Jude. Come to Jude chapter 1. Jude chapter 1. Jude 1 and verse number 9. He says in verse 9, Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. Michael, as far as we can tell, is the most powerful angel in the Bible. He has the most authority of any angel in the Bible. Here he's called the archangel, which is to say he's over them. In Daniel chapter 10, we read that he is one of one of the chief princes. So this says that he's the archangel. He's over the chief prince. He's one of them, but he is in charge of them. Then there are other angels under him, and then the heavenly host is innumerable, as far as we're concerned. There's just millions upon millions upon millions of them, and they all have different uh, tasks and responsibilities and Various amounts of power, if you can say it like that. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. So the only, the only angel in the Bible that is called an archangel is Michael. We do read about the archangel in 1 Thessalonians 4. I bet you guys remember this verse, I'm sure. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. Remember that? It says not an archangel, the archangel. Which makes it sound as if there's only one, the archangel, and that would be Michael. Ephesians 2, get to verse 2. Ephesians 2 and 2. Paul's describing our condition before we came to Christ for salvation. In verse 2, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Do you see how this is a reference to the devil? He's called the prince of the power of the air, moving about. You can't see him, but he's moving about in the air. And then it says, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. All right, so an unsaved person, there is an, there's an unclean spirit moving about. There's an unclean spirit working in them let's say, pushing them away from God, trying to keep them from hearing and listening what God has to say. All right, more we could say about that, but I believe you understand the point. Come back to Daniel chapter 10. Let's try to understand verse 13 a little bit better here. The prince of the kingdom of Persia. I don't believe he's talking about the physical man who occupied the office of prince at that time. He's talking about the principality, the spiritual being that was in charge of directing the nation. And this would be an unclean spirit because he's opposing God's angels. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in 20 days. Now, what was this particular prince trying to accomplish? I don't know. For these three weeks, I don't know. By the time we get to the end of the chapter, look at verse 20. Then said he, knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee, and now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grisha shall come. We would say Greece. So evidently, what's going on here is, is there's going to be a bit of a shift in, in power, in political power, and God's angels are trying to shift the power. It looks as if Persia is trying to hang on. That's the best I can do just based on the information in, in the context. But come back to verse 13. Michael comes in and he helps. I'm not quite sure exactly what he did, but he helps. As far as we can see in the Bible, Michael is more like the angel of, of action. When it comes to war, Michael gets called in. He's, he's going against the devil, right, in Jude chapter 1. He's contending with him. Michael and his angels will one day fight against Satan and his angels. Heavenly uh, battle in Revelation 12. So Michael seems to be the warrior. And, but then Gabriel, every time there's a message that needs to be delivered, Gabriel's the one that seems to be called in. So it looks as if they have those different responsibilities going on there. But Michael comes to help. We're going to talk more about Michael when we get to chapter 12, so we will circle back to him eventually. Michael came to help him, and it looks as if this battle was taken care of rather quickly, but then for the total of 21 days at the end of verse 13, this messenger angel, I would say perhaps Gabriel, he remained there with the kings of Persia. So now, rather than just run off, the spiritual battle was, was won, but this messenger, this angel sticks behind, stays behind and says, let me just make sure that things don't get stirred up again. And he had to wait those three weeks until he could come and help Daniel, just to make sure that the kingdom of Persia was doing what God had willed. Now, verse 14, he says, now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. All right, so if you remember, and forgive me, I, I, I don't think I did a great job of explaining it the last time we talked about this. In, in verse one of this chapter, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel. This is a separate vision that has come to him in the third year of Cyrus. And now he's troubled by the vision. What he has seen is chapters 11 and 12. In chapters 11 and 12, you have what many historians call the hammer and the anvil. The hammer is Syria, the the king of Syria. And the anvil is Egypt. Now, if you know your geography, Syria's in the north, Egypt's in the south, and the nation of Israel is right in between them. So for the next 250 years, hammer, anvil, hammer, anvil, hammer, anvil. Israel's getting hammered. That sounds bad, but they're getting hammered over, pounded over and over again, and Daniel is seeing this in the vision, and he tr- he's troubled by it. God, how long is this going to go on? When will this ever stop? Those are the things going through his mind. That's why he's troubled, and the angel is now going to show him what's going on. Now, I want to give you a very practical point in all of this. Verse 14, now I am come to make thee understand. Guys, think about this. There's a spiritual war going on up in the heavens, Yes? Okay. So there are angels that stand on behalf of certain nations. By the way, there are angels that stand on behalf of churches. Yes. Did you know that? How many of you know this? How, how, how many of you can tell me what chapter in the Bible tells us that angels are over churches? Who, who can tell me? Revelation. That's it. I heard, I heard a handful of people say it. Revelation 2, Revelation 3. Yeah. The angel of the church of the Ephesians. The angel of the church of Ephesus. There's angelic stuff going on with that. All right, so you got all this spiritual battle going on. Three weeks, it's intense. This mighty messenger had to call in backup. He had to send Michael a text message, please come help, quick. Here comes Michael. It was a big deal. Now here's the practical point. In the midst of this, God says, all right, hit the pause button on the war, Go talk to Daniel. Think about that. How special is Daniel? Here he's been praying for three weeks, and God has had Daniel on hold for three weeks. And he says, all right, put the spiritual battle on hold and go explain this part of the Bible to Daniel. My goodness. To think that God would be mindful of our prayers and step in, while everything else around us is going pear-shaped, and while the spiritual world is just chaotic, he comes in and says, don't be afraid. You're going to be all right. Here's how it works. Man, that's something special. In verse 15, and when he had spoken such words unto me, I set my face toward the ground and I became dumb. That is to say, he couldn't, he was so overwhelmed, he didn't know what to say. Now, if you think about that, if God did this for you, you'd probably be in the same position. I think I would. God says, yeah, I I stopped a heavenly battle just so that I'd come talk to you. (laughs) Really? Why am I that special? I mean, what, what do you say to that? Nothing. He said nothing. In verse 16, and behold, one like the similitude of the sons of men. An angel has the similitude of a man. This is one of the verses that shows us that. And behold, one like the similitude of the sons of men touched my lips. He, Daniel couldn't even speak without some divine help. Now, if you don't mind me preaching to myself just a moment, preacher, don't you try to speak without divine help, <laughs> right? That, that's good preaching, right, for me. I, I don't want to get up here without God touching my lips. But you know, that's good advice for all of us. And you go to work tomorrow and one of those workmates starts getting dodgy and saying things that are difficult to hear and saying things that are just wrong and sinful, you might want to ask God to put a guard at your mouth and, Lord, don't, don't let me say anything I shouldn't say. Give me strength to say what I ought to say. No man can bridle his tongue, right? So you better get God to come in and put his hand right there, right? Say, Preacher, it's hard for me to hold my tongue. Amen. Then let God do it. <laughs> let God do it. All right, that's, that's enough preaching there. But He says, Then I opened my mouth, in verse 16, and spake and said unto him that stood before me, O oh, my Lord. Now, Lord, he's not calling the angel God. As you can see, there's a little L there. He's just saying, You have more authority than me. So calling him Lord is acceptable here. said unto him, uh, that stood before him. Oh my Lord, by the vision my sorrows are turned upon me and I have retained no strength. So he says, this is what's been going on in my heart for the last three weeks. That vision I had has just been bothering me. I have seen my people brutalized in this vision and I can't get over it. And, and I, I've got to understand it. Verse 17, for how can the servant of this my Lord talk With this, my Lord, for as for me, straightway, there remaineth no strength in me, neither is there breath left in me. He said, I am so overwhelmed by everything, what I've seen, you're here, what you're telling me, I don't have the capacity, I don't have the the wherewithal, the strength to stand here and you explain it to me. Have you ever felt like this on a Sunday morning? You've had a really, really rough week. And I might be speaking to some of you that are, you've experienced it this week. You've had a really rough week and you wake up Sunday morning and there's a part of you that wants to come to church, that wants to listen, that wants to be fed, that wants to change. If you're saved, that part of you is always there. But then there's another part of you that says, as much as I want that, I am so worn out. I am just so exhausted and tired. God, I have nothing left in my tank. The spirit truly is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's what Daniel's saying. I'd love to understand this, but, but oh, I am so worn out for three weeks of fasting slash praying, however that went. God, I'm I'm so troubled, I'm just overwhelmed emotionally, physically, spiritually. Oh, God, how can I do this? And just to sit through the church service becomes more than you can handle. And some people don't even make it to church. And it's not because they're wicked or backslidden, it's because they're tired. And here's what you do about that. Before you come to church, maybe even on hands and knees if you have to, but you get before God and you say, God, God, I know I need to hear from your word, and I know I need to understand it, and the more I understand it, the stronger I'll get. Yep. I said the more you understand it, the stronger you will get to, to stay away from it because you're weak will only make you weaker. If you have to crawl hands and knees, do it because that's where you're going to find your strength. You're going to stand on his word, by his word, and then go out and apply it through the word. God, this is how you want me to do these things. I, I, know, I know that's a challenge. And you can admit it to God. It's okay. Daniel did. I want to hear it, but God, I'm just weak. Verse 18. Then there came again. Oh, look at that. There came again and touched me one like the appearance of a man you see how the angels appear Uh, they had the appearance of a man and he what what did he do strengthen me didn't he just help him didn't one of the other angels just touch his lips so that he could speak he was so weak he couldn't speak have you ever been so overwhelmed when you get down to pray you don't even know what to say have you ever been there you just get down before God. You're so broken. You just, you just lay there weeping. Say, God, I hope, I, hope my, I hope you can translate what my tears are trying to say. And, and he can. God speaks tears. <laughs> God speaks weeping. He gets it. And then he strengthens you and some words come out. And he says, God, I'm just so weak. And then he gives you a little more strength and a little more strength until there you are standing. Okay, God, tell me what I need to hear ears to hear. He touched me. And perhaps this morning, that's what you need. You need just a touch from God to get through the rest of the lesson. And then in the break, if you need to, you can step over to the prayer closet across the way in that room and just say, God, I need another touch to get through the main service. That's okay. If you've had a rough week, you can ask. In verse 19, and said, oh man, greatly beloved. What encouraging!" What encouraging words. Here's, here's Daniel admitting how weak and overwhelmed he is, but he's still a man greatly beloved. Fear not. Second time in the passage, the angels told him this. Peace be unto thee. Be strong. Yea, be strong. Before he gives them this long, drawn-out explanation, he's just encouraging him: Hey, man, come on. Be strong. No, no, no rebuke in it. There's no rebuke just saying, be strong. You can do this with our help. No one's telling you, you have to do it alone, but you can do this with our help. And when he had spoken unto me, verse 19, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for thou hast strengthened me. So he went from standing there and then the angel steps in, his comeliness has turned into corruption. His knees get weak, and he's starting to go to the ground. The angel speaks, wham! Now he's on his face. He's, oh, that was too much. Whew! That'll, that, that'll just leave, that'll leave a mark. Bam! And then he starts to come to, and he gets up back on all fours, and then the angel touches him, and he stands up, and he's trembling, and he can't get words out, and then the angel touches him, and now he's speaking, so I'm just too weak, and he strengthens him again. He's, okay, Whew. all right. Second wind. Here we go. All right, go ahead and speak. I'm with you now. That's a good way to get ready for church. Do you see the practical nature of that? That's a good way to get ready for church. Verse 20, then said he, he, knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? Well, yes, I believe he does. He was just told. I've come to show you what that vision's all about. And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia, so, Daniel, I'm about to explain to you the next 180 years of history, future, prophetical stuff. I'm about to explain that to you. I don't want you to think that it's just flesh and blood fighting. Understand that part of the story is happening up there. It's not all what you can see here. There's stuff going on in the spiritual realm as well. Just He's, he's informing him of that. Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee, and now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia. Back to that spiritual battle. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grisha shall come. We're going to get more details about Persia and the transfer of the kingdom to Greece. We'll get that in chapter 11, most likely next week, Lord willing. In verse 21, but I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth. And there is none that holdeth with me in these things, but Michael, your prince. Now, when he says your prince, that is to say Michael is the angel that watches over the nation of Israel. Okay, look at chapter 12. Just quickly, we'll not study it deep. I just want you to see it for now. Chapter 12 and verse 1. He says, and at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. All right, so Michael's watching over God's chief nation, the nation of Israel. All right, so come back to chapter 10 and verse 21. Let's talk about this for a moment. The angel says, I've, I've got to go back and fight this spiritual battle. But before I go, I'm going to show you that which is noted in the scripture of truth. There are certain things that have to unfold in history. And this speaks to God's foreknowledge. Please understand, God knows what's going to happen. So God is able to write down the history of the world from before the world began. But please make this distinction. Just because God knows what's going to happen does not mean God made that happen. God was simply a witness of all history before history happened. How can that be? God, God told us how this could be. He, he, when he explains himself, right? What do, they, what do they say in heaven all the time? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. God is three tenses at once. So he is right now. And at the same time, he's back there. And at the same time, he's over there in the future. At, at the same time, God doesn't move from the present into the past so that he can look forward. God is in the present looking at himself in the past and then he can look over there at himself in the future and the future can look in the (laughs) present. God sees the whole thing all the time, everywhere. So he can write the book and he knows what choices you and I have made. He knows what choices the nations have made. He knows how it unfolds. And therefore, when he gives a prophet a vision, he can say, "I, I can explain it from the scripture of truth because God has it written down. Now, take your Bible, come to Psalm chapter 119, please. Psalm 119. <clears throat> I'm going to pose this question and I'll let it linger. Does God have a Bible in heaven? Does God have a Bible in heaven? Well, let's see what the Bible says about that. Psalm 119, verse 89. Psalm 119, verse 89. We, we read here. <clears throat> Forever. Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Now, it took mankind approximately 2,000 years to get all the words that we have in the Bible put down on paper. And then after the last full stop was put on the book of Revelation in about 95 AD, it took about another 250, maybe 300 years for somebody to collect all the documents of the Bible and put all 66 books into one book to make it one collection of, of manuscripts and papers. But the Lord's word forever settled in heaven. So, to answer the question, does God have a Bible in heaven? I think so. Sorry, I don't have a great answer. I think so, because God, through his foreknowledge, would know what's going to be written. So, yes, he would have that book handy and his word forever settled in heaven. But here's, I want to take that thought one step further. The words of God, let let me rather rephrase that. God has more than one book. Now, now don't don't worry, I'm not please, please don't think that I'm <laughs> saying the Bible and the Quran and the Bhagavad Gita. I'm not saying that. Okay, I'm not saying that. God has one book that He's given to mankind. That's, that's the Bible. But look at Malachi chapter 3. I'll show you now that God does have more than one book. It's very likely that there is a book in heaven that contains various decrees that god has given about how things ought to work some of those decrees are noted in the in the bible the scripture that we have but it's also possible that god has other books in heaven that he uses now malachi chapter three look with me please at verse 16 malachi 3 verse 16 He says here, then they they that feared the Lord, everybody got that? Malachi 3, 16. Just get Matthew and come one page back and you'll be on it. Malachi 3, verse 16. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. Amen. That's good advice. Mm -hmm. And the Lord hearkened. Think about that for a moment. Next time you sit down to chat with a buddy, God's listening to that. What did Jesus say? Every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. God's listening to every conversation, every idle word, the words you say while you're just sitting around doing nothing important. God's listening. But you know where God really likes listening? Is when two Bible-believing, God-fearing, true-worshiping Christians get together and say, let's talk about the Lord. God God pulls up a chair real close. and says, ooh, gone. I like this conversation. He hearkens, and he heard it. Keep reading. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. Do you see that there's, a, there's another book in heaven? And it has the names of those that like to talk and think about God. God's keeping a record. That one thinks I'm special. God writes that down. Now take your Bible, come to Revelation chapter 12. chapter 20, forgive me, verse 12. Revelation chapter 20, we'll end up here. So the angel has come and said, Daniel, I'm gonna show you what is noted in the scripture of truth. He could very well be referring to what we call the Bible. God would have access to that. But perhaps there are some other books in heaven that he's referring to, and that's, that would also be Scripture because it's something God had, had uh, written down. Revelation 20, verse 12. Now, in this verse, we're reading about something called the, the great white throne judgment. You can see this. Let's just begin reading in verse 11. You'll see it here. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. Friend, one day, if you've never been saved, please hear me now. If you're here this morning and you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to pay close attention to this. If you've heard nothing else I've said yet, listen to this. Because this is your future. And I want you to know about it so that you can make an informed decision. I want you to know what's waiting for you. And now now is the time, if you want to change anything so that you don't end up here, now's the time to do it. But I want you to see what's, what you're going to face. Verse 12, and I saw the dead. These are people that were never born again, lost people. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and The books were opened. Which books? Well, there. who knows how many? We got 66 right here. 66 of them. We know there's a book of remembrance that God wrote. So at least we know about those books. But he goes on to say, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. If I could be so bold as to say it like this, I believe there's a lot of books up in heaven that God is supervising. Right? He is overseeing the project of these books being written, but you are the one providing the words. There's a book up there with your name on it. It's the book of your life. There's the book of the life, the book of life of the Lamb. And if you're in Christ, you're in that book. But if you're not in Christ, there's a book up there with your name on it. And everything you do, everything you say, and here's the scary part, everything you think in your head and in your heart, every intention Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says that the the Word of God knows the intent of your heart. Every intention is written down and recorded. You're writing a book. You are writing your own autobiography. Everything is recorded. And one day, when you stand before God, the books will be opened. And at least one of those books is the book of your life. And God's going to go through the record... Say, so, well, preacher, I've done a few good things. Are those things in the book? I'm sure it is. But remember, the bad things are there too. And at the judgment, God is not putting all your good on one side and all your bad on the other and weighing them out. That's not how the judgment works. When you go to court, we're trying to decide are you innocent or guilty? And when you look through the record, if there are instances of you breaking God's laws, the verdict can only be one thing you are guilty. And if you hear the verdict of guilty, verse 15, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. If you've never been born again, if you've never received the payment that Jesus made on the cross for your sins, that's where it ends up. I want you to see. There are some other books up in heaven. Daniel, we're going to go back to that. As the weeks go on, and we'll see that prophetical vision and how it all plays out. But I want you to have that practical thought in your mind, that personal thought in your mind. One day God will walk you through what's written in the books about you. And that's a day you want to be ready for. All right, let's all stand, please. Let's stand. Father, we thank you for showing us that which is noted in the scripture of truth. And I pray that, Lord, you'd help us to take these things to heart. Thank you for the strength you've given us to stand and to sit here and to have the Word of God opened and, Lord, to have the Holy Spirit guiding us into truth. Help us now to react uh, appropriately, to respond in a way that pleases you. And please bless our service to come now and our fellowship. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.